Let's read together Article 36 of the Belgic Confession. Article 36 of the Belgic Confession found in the back of your songbooks, your Psalter hymnals. Or in page 196 in your book of forms and prayers. On the civil government, before we read together Romans 13. Here's a summary of scripture teaching. Our confession of faith, we believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. He wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained and that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that purpose, he has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. And being called in this manner to contribute to the advancement of a society that is pleasing to God, the civil rulers have the task, subject to God's law, of removing every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship. They should do this while completely refraining from every tendency toward exercising absolute authority and while functioning in the sphere entrusted to them, which with the means belonging to them. They should do it in order that the word may have free course. The kingdom of Jesus Christ may make progress and every anti-Christian power may be resisted. Moreover, everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government and pay taxes and hold its representatives in honor and respect and obey them in all things that are not not in conflict with God's word, praying for them, that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways and that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all piety and decency. And on this matter, we denounce the Anabaptists, other anarchists, and in general, all those who want to reject the authorities and civil officers and to subvert justice by introducing common ownership of goods and corrupting the moral order that God has established among human beings. And then let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 13. Instead of reading the whole chapter, we'll read verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 8. Of Romans 13. Page 1127 in your pew Bibles. Chapter 12 ends, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? 
Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verses 1 through 7 are our text this afternoon. May God grant us his blessing under the ministry of his word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I did not vote for Justin Trudeau to be my prime minister. I didn't vote for him the first time. I didn't vote for him the second time. And if there's a third time, I don't plan to vote for him. But God, loosely speaking, did vote for him and appointed him. And therefore, his official title is the Right Honorable Prime Minister of Canada. Mr. Justin Trudeau. I can complain about the election system and how he didn't get the popular vote, but according to our rules, that's the way it is. I confess he has infuriated me. I confess that in the last two years, I have developed sometimes wrongly an anti-government spirit, which is contrary to Christ. And I must repent of that and ask to be cleansed of that. Daniel called the evil dictator Nebuchadnezzar, O King, the King of Kings. That was his title. And so we show honor to God's chosen Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, with the title of the Right Honorable Mr. Trudeau. And we must remember it's not the leader that we necessarily want or the ideal leader, or the one who is all that he should be, that is the leader of our country, but the one that exists, Romans 13 verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You can put in the blank there, those that exist, including Mr. Trudeau, have been instituted by God. And ultimately, it's the, God is the one who sets up and removes governments and governing authorities. Daniel prayed in Daniel 2, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He removes kings and sets them up. So, Three things. We must be subject to Mr. Trudeau because he's God's minister. That's the first point. Secondly, we must be subject to Mr. Trudeau because that's God's call. 
to us. We must be subject because he's God's minister. That word comes from the text we read. Verse 4 calls the existing governing authorities God's servant. Twice it uses the word God's servant for your good. And then if you jump ahead to verse 6, the authorities are ministers of God. Now, whoever was emperor of Rome when Paul wrote, it was Nero, did not worship or recognize this one true God. But still, he was a minister of God. Nero did not rule in God's name. He was a tyrant devoted to self-glory. And in Paul's time, when you added up direct and indirect taxes, taxes were extremely high and pressing in Rome. And a previous emperor... Claudius had recently expelled all Jews from Rome, including Christian Jews, and Priscilla and Aquila were two that had to flee the congregation, and they went to Corinth. So Paul's writing to a congregation that has been massively impacted by persecution. And this is what he's writing. God gives the governors their place. He rules over them. He rules through them, and he still does today. And notice, if you look again at verses 1 and 2, that's the emphasis. There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. They are what God has appointed. Three times. They're from God. They're instituted by God. They're appointed by God. It can't be more clear. And there are two things that are said here about their task and purpose. Number one, God has appointed them to restrain evil, to be a terror, verse three, to bad conduct, and to give approval to those who do what is good. They are to serve as a disincentive to crime. They're to give the citizens fear of doing what's bad. They're to be a deterrent. People are evil. And one of the ways that God curtails evil so that the world does not descend into chaos and self-obliteration is civil government. We read that in Article 36. Because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. And we got to be at that place, brothers and sisters. Jesus has given us Mr. Trudeau because Jesus is good. And this prevents us from descending into anarchy where we're ruled by gangs and there are no liberties and the church has no safe place. Let us that we might serve the Lord Jesus Christ and the peace, the welfare of the city where he's put us as pilgrims, Jeremiah 29. He's given us this government our good God, to restrain evil and secondly, to punish evil. Verse four, he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Our confession, 
notes this also. For that purpose, God has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. Governments have power to punish evil doers. And that punishment includes the death penalty. It's the sword, not just the club. The death penalty when necessary. It includes the call to war in order to defend its citizens from an aggressor. Remember the end of Romans 12? Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but leave room for God's wrath. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Well, here's one of the agents of God's vengeance and God's wrath. Ultimately, at the end, he will make all things right on the day of wrath. But even now, Romans 13 says he's an agent of God's wrath. Private citizens may not take justice and punishment and vengeance in their own hands. They must leave it to the Lord. And that includes using the civil government, the means that the civil government makes available to you, such as law enforcement and the judicial process. So then to summarize in verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. The purpose of civil government is to punish evil and to protect the good. And in that kind of relatively stable environment, we have room. Christians have room to live their lives for the Lord, to love and serve their neighbor, to share the gospel with others, room to grow. And the reformers like Luther and Calvin said the worst government imaginable is better than chaos, and that is true. North Korea and Afghanistan are very hard places for the church to live. But Port-au-Prince is harder right now. He's the civil government. He's the Servant of God for your good. Now, you might say this is quite a rosy picture of civil government. Paul, you haven't met our prime minister yet. Paul, you haven't seen the Taliban or visited North Korea. True, but Paul and Peter wrote about honoring the emperor. Peter wrote, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. They wrote that when tyrants weren't always friendly to Christians, let alone to general public. They were megalomaniacs. So governments don't always live up to the purpose that's given to them in Romans 13. They're often corrupt and do evil things and persecute the people of God. What then? Are they still from God? Are they still legitimate? And here's where Christians too often twist and turn and try to get out from under Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 and say, well, then they're not legitimate. The governments that exist, even when they don't live up to their calling, and they should, even when they don't, are from God. Yes, we should be outraged when they are unjust and when they persecute, and we should cry out to God for justice, and God will bring rulers to account, brothers and sisters. He's angry with tyrants who help themselves rather than help the weak, and he rebukes them. Listen to Psalm 82. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Because the weak, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and 
fall like any prince, God says. He gives them power. He also takes their power away like he struck Herod with worms and killed him. So he will take vengeance on all wicked rulers and we must leave that to him. And knowing that, for the Lord's sake, for Christ's sake, we can subject ourselves to the governing authorities that exist. Knowing that Jesus is our ruler. That's why Paul says, for conscience' sake. And conscience means before the Lord. For the Lord's sake. For a healthy relationship with the Lord. For a clean and a good conscience before him. We show a different way, and we're called to, than the way of the world. The way of the world is fight back, violence, hatred, yelling. And sadly, we join in far too easily. The way of Christ is the way that he submitted himself to Pontius Pilate. Subjection, patience, a peaceful spirit, prayer for our rulers. Oh, Jesus testified before him. You would have no power over me if it weren't given you by God. My kingdom is not of this world. But we fight back by doing good works, the Bible says. Not by revolting. We subject ourselves to their authority, administration, and taxation. Because how we relate to them is a very important part of our witness because Christ is our true king. This is what it's always about. It's not because Mr. Trudeau is prime minister that we honor him. It's because Jesus Christ is our Lord that we honor the ones that he's put in place. It's a witness to Christ. Secondly, we must be subject because that is God's call to us. That's the emphasis of Romans 13. God's call to Christians to honor the government that exists. That's instituted by God. He emphasizes that four times. Let's go through them. Verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, those who resist. Verse 2, will incur judgment. Secondly, verse 3, do what is good. Do good works, but if you do what is wrong, be afraid. And then in verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection for conscience sake. And then verse 7, give taxes, give revenue, give respect, give honor. Four times and more. This is the emphasis of the passage to a congregation at the heart of the empire where the inner workings of government were all too obvious. Where they were still missing Priscilla and Aquila and many others who were forced to flee. Where taxes were very high. Where there were many reasons to be infuriated This is the call. So what does that mean? Be subject. 
I want to list five aspects of what subject, subjection means according to scripture. Confess at the outset. These are complex matters. Church history has faced a variety of issues at a variety of levels. What's the right way to navigate respecting, honoring a civil government, especially when they press us to go against God's word? So, number one. So five things, number one. Christians have a special calling in this world to regard or to shine as lights in this world. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Comes right before this section. And there's a purpose to that. We have a separation of chapters, but you know in the Greek there are no chapter numbers and no verse numbers. The next line is be subject to the governing authorities. That's part of overcoming evil with good brothers and sisters. Like Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate without reviling. We're called to live the cruciform life. And to follow in his steps. And entrust our lives to him who judges justly our father in heaven. So that we do not revile in return. Let us not be known for outrage. But for good works. Let's not be known for revolution but for respect. I speak to myself. Relationship to government is one of the key areas where we're called to be witnesses. Structurally, Romans 13, 1 through 7, are sandwiched between two love commands. Starting at verse 9, love must be sincere. Carry on to verse 8 of chapter 13. Owe no man anything except to love one another. This is part of the package. It's one area, a relationship to government, where we have a special duty of love for our neighbor. In the early church under Roman persecution, Christians wanted to lift up the name of Jesus by being the best citizens of the empire, that is, Citizens contributing to peace and not to disorder. Pray for the welfare of the city, remember Jeremiah 29, for in its peace and its welfare you find yours. That very much governed the early church. They wanted to be the best citizens of the empire by committing themselves to doing good works, feeding the poor, saving Babies that were dumped in the garbage heap. Taking in the orphans. Helping the widow and the orphan. And even when they resisted evil laws, and they had to all along. They wanted to be known not for fighting back. But for loving back and serving back. Our first calling is always to give Jesus a good name. Always to give Jesus a good name. Secondly, the word subjection is a very important word. A person must be subject to the governing authorities and not resist them. 
When it comes to relationship with civil government, the word obey is not used in the New Testament. It's used for parents and children. It's used for husband and wife. It's used for uh, congregations and their leaders. It's used for employers and employees. It's not used for civil government. But the word subjection is used over and over again. Because although Christians sometimes cannot obey their government, we must always accept them as our leaders from God and be subject to them and not call for their overthrow and honor them in whatever ways we can. Think about that with the Apostle Paul. I can't imagine being in a spot And thinking the way he did when he's before the Jewish governing authorities who despised him. And he was being persecuted for the gospel and he was arrested. And here he is, a prisoner standing before Ananias, the high priest. And Ananias commanded the attendants to slap Paul across the face. And Paul said, Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And then the attendants told Paul, you shouldn't talk to God's high priest like that. And Paul immediately admitted admitted that he shouldn't have said that. I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Ooh. It's one thing to call him to account. It's another thing to hold up a black flag. Even in our minds. Third. Subjection to governing authorities does not mean, brothers and sisters, passive compliance to every government edict. God has given us a prophetic voice to testify to our governing officials through protest, which can involve writing letters, marching, boycotts, holding signs, looking for opportunities to speak with our governing authorities. Even like John the Baptist knocked on King Herod's door and told him that he shouldn't have his brother's wife. Protests can involve taking a government to court when you believe that it has violated our constitution and laws. And democracies often have laws which even allow for lower magistrates to impeach or remove a higher magistrate from office while still upholding the government instituted by God. Though we've got to use these provisions very carefully, that also can become a kangaroo court and subversive to God's command. But, though subjection allows for that, brothers and sisters, It can be a poison. Every form of protest must remain respectful and reasonable and avoid every form of rage and violence. It's important to know and remember and feel the difference between resisting a law and resisting a government. There can be time and place for resisting a law properly. But resisting a government is a whole nother thing. That's not subjection. Fourth, we can even take this one step further. Subjection to governing authorities can even include civil disobedience. 
when you are convinced that God's law requires you to disobey man's laws. And while respecting the government as your government from God, and while not trying to overthrow or reject him as your ruler, and while accepting the punishments for civil disobedience, humbly, God may call us at times to disobey the law or go against the system. In Bible times, I'm reminded of the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, who did not obey the king's edict to drown all the Hebrew baby boys in the Nile River. I'm reminded of Rahab's lie against the king of Jericho to protect the Israelite spies from death. In more recent history, I think of Rosa Parks, who was arrested for civil disobedience and violating Alabama's segregation laws when she refused to obey an order to leave her seat and sit in the back so a white man could take her spot. And many Christians at that time argued it was wrong for Rosa Parks to remain seated because there was nothing wrong with her to sit in the other seat. She wasn't, be required, she wasn't being required to break God's law. But Rosa Parks was convinced it was wrong to perpetuate the system. And she never advocated for government overthrow or violence against the ruler. But she disobeyed respectfully and quietly and willingly accepted the consequences of her actions, arrest and imprisonment. So let's remember the difference between resisting a law versus resisting a government. And that's one of the key differences between the earlier civil rights movement and the current Black Lives Matter. The earlier movement resisted certain laws but accepted their government, prayed for them. While Black Lives Matter has a much more radical agenda of trying through violence to stir up unrest and revolution, we have to be very careful not to fall in this mood of resistance that we often meet today to cross the line from resisting an unjust law to hating the governing authorities and allowing to have deposited in your soul an anti-government sentiment. Government is Jesus' gift to the church. To prevent that chaos of anarchy which would destroy the opportunity for the gospel to go forward, to be maintained in our own lives and to go forward. And at the end of the day, if there ever is a revolution, we do not want Christians to be anywhere near the forefront of it or supporting it. And we don't want to be supporting it even now by anti-government sentiment. The tone and demeanor of Christian civil disobedience Christian tone will be the opposite of strident, belligerent, rock-throwing, screaming, swearing, 
violent demonstrations. And then lastly, fifthly, as Christians, we have to be so careful to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in this matter of subjection. This fits under Romans 12 verse 1. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then you read on and realize, offer your bodies as a loving, living sacrifice to God. Do you love your prime minister? He's your neighbor. Oh, maybe he's your enemy. Maybe he's an enemy of the Christian faith. Do you love your prime minister? Do I? Our sacrifice, Romans 12, verse 2, must not be conformed to the spirit of this age, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And there's two dangers to avoid. Two dangers to avoid. The first is to cave into the spirit of the age and to complain against God's good gift of government. The spirit of fighting back, cynicism, hatred, constantly looking for a narrative that demonizes our governing authorities and eagerly devouring every cynical conspiracy theory that comes along. Sometimes you just develop an appetite for that. And it gets into your soul. And then you begin to justify evading taxes and speaking disrespectfully and all the rest. And the mood of resistance begins to devour you. It becomes a God and it becomes your pathway to freedom and peace and replaces Jesus. Brothers and sisters, government is not our pathway to peace. That's why we can subject ourselves. Jesus is your pathway to peace. Peace with God now, peace with one another now. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Jesus is that one. So do what Paul commands, what God commands. Give them the taxes you owe, the revenue, the respect, and the honor. Be subject. Do not resist to them. Do not reject the right honorable Prime Minister Trudeau as your governing authority from God. Do not sow the wind of government hatred or you'll reap the whirlwind of horrible anarchy where everyone loots and kills and there's no peace and safety at all and no room for God's people. To that extent, I look back on the last two years of mandates and think, we were kind of at the edge of government intrusion into worship especially when churches were told not to sing and not to gather, and especially in the second and third lockdowns. And we really need to be gracious and show charity t- toward one another. And we weren't sure always how to think of these things or we thought differently about them. But how did we do? Is it right for me to give the finger to the government every time I disagree with them? And what about my willingness to suffer injustice for the sake of Christ and live the cruciform life?
is if we can't handle government overreach in the smaller things, brothers and sisters, when persecution breaks out in big ways, and there may well have been some persecution in smaller ways, but how are we going to handle that? The second danger to watch out for, and that's crucial in the book of Revelation, is that kind of subjection that you found in the the churches of Germany under Nazism, the churches, the Orthodox churches during the Soviet era, that kind of subjection that is so unquestioning and passive that you become the false prophet in Revelation 13 that co-ops or is co-opted by the beast and supports the beast, the evil empire, to do its work. We never want to get in that spot where we say, I'm just following orders and join the beast in the persecution of the church. That's the other thing to watch out for. Remaining respectful of the government that Jesus has given to us. But you don't want to keep moving the line of faithfulness to God further and further down just to avoid collision with the state. Because that would be unfaithful to God as well. The spirit of compromise. Brothers and sisters, This is God's call. For the sake of Jesus who bought you with his precious blood and has become your Lord and King and has given you this land to live in and serve him as a pilgrim in it. For his sake, not Mr. Trudeau's or Mr. Ford's or anybody else. For his sake who loves you and bought you with his precious blood, and is your ultimate Lord and King, subject yourself to Mr. Trudeau and love him and pray for him and honor him as your prime minister. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your goodness in which you've given us this amazing calling in the midst of a wicked world. We're so tempted to take the way of the world of anger and rage and violence and constantly fighting back rather than the way of peace and quietness and faithfulness to our God and subjection. Oh, give us much wisdom, Lord, to be faithful to you in these matters and to see Jesus is Lord and to do all things for your sake and in honor to you. So give us wisdom, give us grace toward one another and help us to live as faithful pilgrims in the dominion of Canada the province of Ontario. In Jesus we pray, amen.